0: one and welcome to another edition of the Richard Listens show. Uh, today I'm excited to be with you. We continue to be in quarantine here in Los Angeles in uh, Passover Easter edition and thank you all who've been uh, jumping in on the Facebook lives, who've logged into our patreon.com slash Richard Listens account and I'm really appreciative of all the interaction on Instagram, and, and it's exciting, and, and it's a sad time. It's a challenging time. But it's also one of great creativity. Uh, just finished in a lot of my downtime but doing a lot of reading. Finished a book by Quest Love called Creative Quest, uh, which I'll be sharing up on my Instagram, and he goes into great detail about how periods of boredom can lead to periods of inspiration, and it's something that a lot of us fight and run off. And artists, athletes, we run from that feeling of boredom. We stay busy. We don't quite want to feel those feelings of it. So on the one hand, there is something to the habits of successful athletes who can go in the gym, continue going even when it's not fun, even when it's difficult even when you have to make a gym out of your living room because you're in quarantine. On the other hand, there's something to sitting in the boredom and allowing yourself to review your goals, take a look at what you want to work on internally, externally. And that's what uh, Crossing the Threshold, the Richard Liston's Guide coming out this year will will help you focus on. So without further ado, a uh, couple things that uh, new books I'm going to be reading. My former guest, Howie Falco, I am. Uh, take a look if you're interested in it, The Power of Discovering Who You Really Are, his recipe for working with uh, athletes. And if you want something more fun by Shea Serrano, basketball and other things has like mock draft things, imaginary players from movies that you would pick a little bit more fun and lighthearted if you need something to go over and uh, maybe look over as a family uh, crosses a couple generations and takes characters out of books, uh, imaginary uh, versus real life and things like that, things that we probably all do in our imagination uh, in our young, young adult years. So without further ado, I'm going to be inviting on shortly uh, my guest today, uh, who is uh, Mr. Dr. Eddie O'Connor, and he is an accomplished performance psychologist, can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Sports Dr. Eddie and Dr. Eddie O'Connor. Uh, He is in private practice, works with athletes during crisis and during season, but also on performance enhancement. He's always sharing wonderful, exciting articles on LinkedIn. That's why I admire him. Uh, He specializes in both performance, anxiety, sports, injury, rehabilitation, and pain tolerance uh, in dealing with uh, endurance and performance pain. He also works with teams and organizations on our topic for today, overcoming obstacles to excellence. Dr. Eddie, are you there? I am. Pretty cool. I just gave you a great, a great intro and, and, uh, and your horn, you know, I didn't want you to get, you know, embarrassed or anything <laughs> like that. So <laughs> are you, are you now, are you on the road? Are you in Michigan? Where are you today? Are you back home?
1: Yeah, I'm back home in Michigan, Grand Rapids.
0: Okay. And how's, how's the weather there? How's everybody managing? And uh, I know we, we don't want to talk too much on uh, Corona Focus and, uh, <laughs> but how are you managing?
1: yeah um, it's going okay you know I mean we're all um, shifting the way that we do work. Uh, the kids started a virtual school today. Yes yeah, so the virtual focus is uh, is a bit of a difference uh, for, for us you know as, as clinicians um, you know there's, uh, I like the live interviews um, but uh, you know, I've seen people face to face however, that's a great opportunity still I'm really thankful to be a sports psychologist at this time. Um, I think there's a real big need. <laughs> um, I know that uh, as we probably talk about, all the things that we we teach uh, have to come into play now. And we really have to be good stewards of what we have been teaching and uh, really put it into practice.
0: Yeah. And I was, I was telling uh, our listeners here, I really appreciate as a, as a professional, all the LinkedIn articles and, and, uh, you know, relevant information you've been sharing on being a sports parent and on coping with uh, the changes, um, you know, what what kind of pressure do you feel? I mean, this is like unprecedented territory. Uh, on the other hand, there's some there are some comparisons to having a lost season or lost to an injury. I mean, you know, is there a lot of overlap, or is there like this pressure to come up with with new material uh, for the current situation?
1: Yeah, no, actually, I think there's tremendous overlap. And in fact, depending on where I will get an athlete back. So if it's somebody I've worked with for a while, now is a fantastic opportunity to be able to kind of say, okay, you know, we've talked about this in basketball or in soccer and in these particular situations, but how does this transfer into the things that you're, you're struggling with now? You know, the, you know, things, the, the terms that we use so loosely about adversity, um, you know, it's not to minimize what we face in sport. Um, but, putting it into a perspective into the way our uh, challenges are today, uh, whether it be to participate in sport or to, you know, I mean, wouldn't you just love to lose a game right now?
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. You
1: know? I mean, the things that had stressed us out before are still appropriate. I had uh, somebody speak and say, you know, be careful about wishing for the, for things to get back to normal, because remember that when things are normal, things are still broken. And so, I'm, I'm rushing through a lot of ideas in my head. So I, I guess what I would say is the opportunity for the athletes to take what they have learned. Some of them are actually doing really well. Some that I'm, I'm still talking with that they're able to just translate it. They continue their mindfulness practice, for example. They still live in the moment, understand what's happening today. They can let go of the future. Some quick tips where they can really just engage in what they have to do and what the new problems are today um, with some trust that they can cope, some trust that they'll be okay. And I think that ends up being critical. They may not know what to do, but they've got confidence in themselves. And then you get some other athletes or new ones that I haven't worked with yet, and they're coming in, and it's almost flip. It's like, yeah, well, I can help you through this crisis. We can talk about the stress management and the anxiety management and the behavioral activation and things of that nature. And you know what? This is going to help you better to your sport when you get back to it at the same time. So by all means, it's, a, it's an absolute overlap because we are still human beings. We're still swimming in thoughts and feelings, and we still have to behave in a valued way.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was that was really well said, and I, yeah, I know. Not a, too long. <laughs> no, I know you have you have so much you want to share and such a breadth of knowledge, and I really appreciate. Uh, it's a real joy for me to have people who I admire their work in the field, uh, yes. sharing this, and it is. It's like being a trendsetter, and and I thought of I just got all this imagery about the baseball diamond is just around the corner. I can always hear the games going on, and there's a desire to be back in games both because it resembles normalcy but on the other hand there's this tremendous opportunity now in slowing down and being really still uh and able to look at what areas of your game need to be worked on uh the mental game as well and so it's like the minute we rush back to to being normal or just doing what we've always done we may miss this opportunity so yeah you know i hope athletes are seeing that now and 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 now that they know that they've got to hunker down for at least another month uh developing some performance routines or taking a look at what where can their mental skills game be be enhanced
1: yeah and that idea of slowing down um i know that um you know, I almost have the opposite reaction, right? You want to do more, you want to fix it. you you know, I feel guilty because why aren't I improving everything else in my life and I'm supposed to have all this extra downtime now?
0: And it's like, oh my
1: gosh, like the competition and the comparison just doesn't end in any situation. It's like, gee, maybe it's something about the human spirit that just you're know, driving. Walking us.
0: around the house with a screwdriver. It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna finally become a handyman. <laughs>
1: Exactly. If somebody told me, what was that home project you always wanted to do? I'm like, I, I never wanted to do it. Now I feel pressure like I have to. Um, so really, though, what I am finding, and again, it, it's difficult. Like, um, in some ways, I am glad to go through this. Um, and when I've had hard times in my life before, I know that it's changed me as a person. You, know, you come out of a graduate school as a psychologist, and you've learned a lot of stuff with very little life experience. And you know, here you're telling people who are depressed and anxious how to handle it. And I'll never forget a, a trauma that I had gone through in my life and um, I came back and I apologized to my clients. <laughs> I was like, "If I ever made you feel bad about not being a good enough patient, about not doing the homework or doing it well or being all that compliant or you skip some mindfulness or you weren't able to restructure that thought, I'm sorry. Like there are just days that you need to just honor your feelings and one of the best things I ever read was from uh, the four agreements, to do your best, which means if your best is 5% of what you have, then you just give that full 5%. Like you're really sick with the flu and you just go get ch- you know, chicken soup and that's all you can do for the day, that's an accomplishment. And that, that ability to slow down right now and really as things are stopped or being taken away and we can't just do the routines and the normalcy that we've had. If we can truly slow down and feel safe in that, you use the word opportunity and it really is. Now, I I say it slowly because I don't wanna be like, now here's another opportunity for us to jump on and get excited about, no, no, no. I think this really requires a different emotion or approach to it like, whoa, we don't know what things, are like forget a month, what about three months, what about six months? Like the future is really uncertain. What is it that I truly want? What truly makes me happy? What, What have I just been doing because I should or have been in or had to? And much like you had said, you know, where do I want to grow? You know, can I use this as a time to kind of say, I, you know, we all get to recreate, I think right now, you know, to varying degrees. Sometimes some of us are forced to recreate our lives with all the job losses and and things of that nature, but others, you know, it's an opportunity to really step back and you have to take your time with it and see what comes up. I don't know that it's a thinking exercise as much as a a mindful, be in touch with what you're feeling and see what, what sings to your heart. And I think if we could do that, we might have some good changes overall. Not without pain, but on the other side of that pain, something really worthwhile.
0: Yeah, I just finished uh, James Clear's uh, Power of Habit. And, and I think he, he makes reference to pain in there and some pretty, pretty interesting definitions. Because, it, it, you know, like there's this tendency to want to avoid uh, boredom. Uh, you know, and, and, and and it's like really uncomfortable for athletes to sit still. And that may be, you know, so they distract with video games or or whatever it may be. And some of that's healthy, but the, the power of getting beneath the boredom is that that's where your creativity might be. That's where perhaps your vision of seeing yourself, how do you want to execute that stroke, that swing, that, that shot might exist. Um, How, how have you found to help athletes learn to sit when, when everything about them is conditioned to move, strengthen, right. do more, like you're
1: saying. Oh, or is a human thing? <laughs> well, it's largely a human thing. Um, but that's what I love about working with athletes and high performers is because um, in order to be the best, you can't do the human thing, right? The human thing, if you just want to be average, um, it's acceptable, it's not to be ashamed of. You know, we can't be great in everything, but the, out of respect of excellence, and if you want to be in the top 3% of mental toughness well, or your sport or whatever, well, you have to be able to do what 97% of the other people either can't or won't. So this natural urge, it can be a reason or excuse for, for why we might have sort of that, uh, like you said, the boredom and kind of give into it. I think that we're emotional beings. Um, we don't have to apologize for that. We have emotions and when they're positive, they can really drive us when we're excited and we've got that honeymoon period with a new behavior that we want to, do and when we're winning and we just have all that confidence and it floods us. Right. But it's impossible to stay in those positive emotion, emotional zones. As I often tell my athletes, I'm like, look, if you want me to help you get to the Olympics, am I supposed to teach you how to not to be nervous about that? Like, that, that's ridiculous. <laughs> right, right. I can't teach you how to perform your best while you're anxious. And I think that's the key. So when it, when athletes now are feeling bored, Understand that, like, okay, that's a that's a relative weakness that we've had. You know, we've needed to be entertained. So, do I give in to the emotion, whether it's boredom or fury or or whatever it is, positive or negative? Am I acting, you know, according to my emotion and following my my emotional lead? Because that gets dangerous. Because as you know, our, our emotions are very dangerous and they're unreliable and they never last. So, if that's what's guiding our life, we're in trouble. So, right, positive bored, or negative, right? Absolutely. Right. It Because it, it doesn't build a foundation. Uh, again, working with athletes, I'm like, we have to identify what, what do we value? Who is it that we want to be? And can we constantly strive to work towards that, knowing that we won't and that we will fail, but that we can mold ourselves every day and that every decision we make and every decision we don't make, every thought we think, every thought we don't think, sculpts us. And so I'm left if I'm bored or if I have this urge where I have to ask myself, well, if I just give into it, is it okay? Does it move me towards what I want? If I'm bored and I want excitement and that's all I really need and want to do right now. And I go play a video game, then it's great. Like it's wonderful. Then I'm not bored and and moving towards my value of entertaining myself at that moment. But if it's day four and I'm bored and I've got nothing else to do and actually picking up a book to better myself is hard and I don't like the way things are. And I'm just waiting for things to get back. And that doesn't feel really good. I'm just kind of avoiding stuff so I can play a video game to distract me because, well, then maybe that's not really moving me towards where I want to go. And now I'm actually a slave to my emotions. And that's not mentally tough. That's not good practice. I don't want to practice giving in to my emotions. I want to be not necessarily in charge of them, but in charge of my response to them. And that's what this this opportunity right now is, we have lots of negative emotions happening. How are we choosing our responses? And are we becoming more disciplined in that way?
0: Yeah, that's the, the great quote, right? The the, the the freedom to choose between stimulus and response, uh, yeah. you know, that's where the growth is. Um, yeah. So, I'm. Um, you know, we're here, we're live with Dr. Eddie O'Connor. And now you have on your YouTube channel, uh, over 150 mental toughness in 60-second videos. Incredible resource uh, for any of our listeners. Um, How did that, where did that derive from, and how does that tie into kind of what we're talking about, about, you know, becoming part of that 3%? Or if you're not, if you're just an amateur or a high school athlete, that if you want to grow, these are the kind of strategies you need to follow.
1: Yeah, well, so the idea of it came out I guess, sort of like, like, like what, do I, what do I want to be in this life? What do I want to do? How can I contribute? And, and again, thank you for having me on here because this is what I, I feel like I'm, I really want to do. I, I love working with athletes one-on-one, um, but there's some frustration in that I can't change the world. There's too many people <laughs> um, to, to get into a week in order to, to do that. So I love yes. to, to do speaking and presenting. And um, another way that I thought to do that was through media. And so I had a number of ventures um, to kind of get the word out on a bigger scale. And one of them was just starting a YouTube channel. And uh, I, f- I figured 60 seconds was enough to keep just about anybody's attention. <laughs> um, <Yes. laughs> and <nice>. uh, <laughs> it was nice to to just kind of say, well, one point, you know, um, we've got, I've got longer things. I've got a course and other stuff that people really want to get into it. But I thought, you know, mental toughness is 60 seconds. What's, what's one thing that you can learn that could be helpful? And I thought after like two or three weeks, I was like, gosh, I hope I don't, I kind of run out of material. And then I kind of, you know, realize that there's just endless material stuff just kept happening and just kept talking into it. So I've got them all on YouTube and I uh, posted them on uh, all my social media as well. And it's gotten a nice response. You know, people, uh, uh, one athlete had said that they had uh, kind of binged it all. And I was flattered by that. Um, I got them organized by playlists. So if there's a particular topic of anxiety or overcoming um, emotions like this uh, injury um i've got them organized by playlist, so that they're a, a little bit whittled down so you can kind of find what you need too oh that's incredible um, so free. an athlete
0: can download it and keep it with them whatever they're working on
1: yeah and it's free too so that's the other benefit of it is uh you know this is some stuff that we really want to give away and make the world a better place
0: yeah and, I, and i've seen that you're you've got a, a rather healthy course on the greatcourses.com i used to get that catalog uh, and, and, and now I guess it's more online, but it's a, it's an amazing resource. I don't know if they're just doing streaming these days, but you get, you know, if you're driving around in your car or if you wanna learn about a subject, if you're new to psychology of performance, it, it's 24, 30 minute lectures. How did they break it down? I guess that's digestible enough for a drive, 30 minutes.
1: Oh yeah, yeah it was like, what a wonderful opportunity. They had seen one of my uh, presentations on YouTube and it had brought me in a couple of years ago. And this was the first of its kind that they were putting into it. They do a lot of history and science and other things. Um, So pitched it and uh, long story short, they were able to, they were like, okay, well, you take it over. They're like, "They gave me the title and they said, what should go in it? So I was able to really create the whole curriculum. And uh, so like A to Z beginning to end, it starts off with, um, you know, just sort of the history of performance psychology. I was not limited to sports, Um, you know, how to find like a certified mental performance consultant to kind of know. You know, who's, uh, uh, you know, who's trained, who isn't, What what's the difference between a mental performance consultant and a psychologist, like a lot of basics. Um, but then we really get into it in in uh, lesson two with deliberate practice and uh, some of the knowledge that comes out of that about how do you really bring your full self to that. Um, and then it continues with a lot of what we were talking about here, a lot of that mindfulness components and overcoming the obstacles to excellence and willingness. Then I get into psychological skills training and then I hit. Some special topics like um, disordered eating and substance use and injury and rehabilitation, uh, developmental psychology for athletes, um, sport parenting, sport fandom, and then conclude uh, with the end in retirement um, and uh, exit from sport. Um, And what a fantastic company. So professional. Uh, They they made me look good, man. They put a great set together. They got graphics. They've got video. so it is something that you could listen to if you wanted, um, but it is downloadable. Um, they even had DVDs. Um, and then they have the Great Courses Plus, where if you just want one topic, you can join the Great Courses Plus and just do the one lesson. So um, really impressive company. I was uh, really pleased to work with them.
0: Yeah, thank you for for offering that. That's a terrific way for for listeners uh, who, you know, or maybe at home and maybe if you're an athlete and you're like, you know, I, 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 didn't even realize there was an aspect of my mental game or performance psychology I'm curious about or studying in college or, or how I can improve my knowledge and skills that this could be a pretty good entryway.
1: Yeah. You know what I was so thankful for. And again, I really give credit to the great courses, like working with me on the content and the, and the rewrites is we've had people who are beginners and say, wow, this is a great introduction. And then I've had people who, you know, colleagues who are like, wow, this really deepened my understanding. And then others are like, I'm going to listen to this three or four times. So I don't know how it happened, but it's a, it's appropriate for beginners. who want an overview and it's appropriate if you really want to get in depth onto some of the topics. And it's the same thing where um, while we use sport as a metaphor for life, and there's a lot of sport examples have um, gotten lots of feedback about, wow, you know what? I'm not an athlete, but this really, really helped. This made sense in my in my marriage or my workplace or in my my fitness goals, so um, yeah, it's uh, I'm really proud of it and really glad to be able to offer uh, offer it over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, I know you're 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 launching or expanding your, your private practice uh, yeah. at this moment, and I know I often find that that conflict within myself where you know this Western theory that we're supposed to be the expert. And, and I, you know, almost every time I have a guest on, it's so great because I get to go like read their book or, or learn about their work and it expands my work or my writing. So, you know, it, it's this beautiful thing. And then you learn about athletes who regularly studied during their careers, other athletes, you know, yeah, yeah picture of like, you know, LeBron sitting there at the World Series or, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that they are watching and studying and appreciating. Mm -hmm. Uh, different approaches to the game that make athletes successful.
1: Yeah, it it really is. Um, I find it's funny because I always thought I did a pretty good job, you know, I had confidence. Um, But the smarter I get, and the more I learn, the more I realize, wow, I don't know anything. I wish I could take like half my week and just like you said, read or study. Um, And somebody explained to me wonderfully. He was like, yeah, like when, when you only know this much, like this is your sphere of what you're in touch with that you don't know. And as you get smarter and you know a lot more, you're in a lot more touch with what you don't know in this infinite universe of knowledge. And I was like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. So um, I think I'm getting better, but I am certainly becoming more humble.
0: <laughs> right, right. That's a wonderful, yeah, wonderful correlation. And you also start to see what people ask me, well, who do you work with? And I start to see the correlation between, uh, you know, the ER doctor and a musician and an athlete. I mean, the, you know, high performance, uh, starts to carry over into all elements of our life, or when you talk about how it applies to a marriage or a relationship, a lot of the same habits and focus. And like you, you were mentioning earlier, reflecting on it, you know, am I, am I being kind of comfortable right now? Or am I applying the same level of thought I did early on when I had intention to, you know, make this person happy and put extra energy in and, and build this relationship? And in what areas, you know, can I be giving more, doing more? Uh, you know, when you take that same approach, uh, you know, you continue to grow something and get results. If you get complacent, uh, mm-hmm. you know, gravity can take over.
1: Yeah, and it kind of leads to maybe my my tagline. Uh, if I was my, if I had one sentence to explain what I do, I say I help performers overcome the obstacles to excellence. And that's really just been sort of my um, what's shown up in my practice and in my work where I just can't get beyond the idea of like, I think we all know how to get better. We all understand to set big goals and to think positive and, you know, this other stuff. And there's there's nothing wrong with that and it's valid and it works. But I just seem to have a heart for, gosh, something always gets in the way. Like I've had big dreams. <laughs> I've, had, I've had big ideas. And a lot of them honestly haven't come true. And I always question that about myself or like, gosh, what makes it so hard to stick to a workout or a, a diet plan or stay consistent during a season? Why do I have ups and downs? You know, it's like, You know, if I was a robot, you know, and I was just programmed to do what I've been trained to do, but there's either something in my head or my heart that always gets in the way. So I really have this soft spot of really identifying that we are constantly pulled from excellence because of that biology we were talking about earlier. Like the obstacle to excellence is really our human nature, that idea that, you know, it's hard. And it's like, wow, that's brilliant, Dr. Eddy. It's like, well, no, I know it's not. (laughs) But I think that I continue year by year to learn respect for how difficult life itself is. That we are seen in, in social media and the championships and the celebration and the ESPN highlights and all this stuff is wonderful how we celebrate success. But I have yet to really see that we do a good enough job explaining the process and, and letting people know exactly how difficult it is. Because we always interview the people after they're successful and they'll give a nod to all their failures and this and that. But I don't know about you, but I'm still saying, yeah, but you just won a championship. You're real good. And I just keep seeing the goodness. Ah, gosh, I want that. But I mean, I would love to watch like the 20,000 hours of their life and what it really looked like when they were crying in their room, when they messed up that workout, when they got rejected here, when they got cut from that team, when they tore their ACL. And those private moments of exactly how difficult it was because a nod to it I don't think it gives it justice. And in, this, in the time that we're right here, that we're having right now in this crisis, whether it be in your marriage, in your business, you've just got laid off, you, uh, your kids are acting up, your sport is gone, you're, you're falling out, whatever it is, how do you embrace that pain and honestly be willing to feel it? Stop trying to fix it or run away from it and really zero in on what it is that you want so that you can experience that pain fully in service of continuing to move towards where you want to go. And that is a process that is very painful, not exciting. And I I believe at the crux of the work that, that I do is to help people really open up their willingness to dig in and do what needs to be done no matter what they think or feel.
0: It seems like everyone these days is trying new workout systems. Some people go to the gym, others may run, but I've recently discovered a great in-home method that is absolutely amazing. I'm taking in classes online where I'm being trained and pushed in real time by top MMA fighters straight from the octagon. Injitsu.com provides real-time classes so you can get a top-notch workout from the comfort of your own home. These classes are absolutely going to sell out. So head over to InJitsu.com slash listens to get your first class for free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash Protecting your child's teeth is important in any sport. That's why Impact Dental Designs has put so much thought into their state-of-the-art mouthguards, protecting athletes in youth sports, all the way up to advanced MMA fighters and champions. And the best part is you can customize your own design for your own creative and fun mouth guard. So head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash Richard Listens. And if you purchase now, you get a free customized design and 20% off your order. Yeah, it really speaks to, I mean, now we hope the stigma is going down. I mean, a lot of major league baseball organizations a lot of professional a lot of ncaa are using uh you know certified mental performance coaches and sports psychologists you know it's becoming much more and and we hope that stigma is going down because it's really hard for any one of us to see outside of ourselves completely to see our tendencies to see our habits to see um You know, I was reading something about kind of like a survivor's guilt, you know, that goes on amongst musicians and athletes that why maybe they struggle after the first album comes out that's a big success or the first championship, you know, and kind of like this, and, and we hear about that in all kinds of attachment psychology with parents as well, right? That in a way, a player may perform down if they feel it may embarrass their parents or make the parent look worse. Like there's something that can happen where we stop, wanting to win because we're sensitive to what's happening in our relationships or if the people around us come from less money and now all of a sudden we're making money. So, you know, it's, it's amazing that if we really don't have help to work through that uh, we may sabotage ourselves from our own success.
1: Yeah. So there's two points that I could go off on. Let me switch one. Like, so the one <laughs> I give about the stigma going down, I think in my 20 years of practice, I thank goodness have really, really seen that um you know people aren't as shy about it or talking about it i think that's sort of the next step of evolution of this getting to where it needs to be like you know, at the level of strengthening conditioning or nutrition and things of that nature you know is the idea that it takes time and effort um, you know sports ecology and developing mental and emotional skills is a lot more than um you know a cool phrase or tricking your mind you know there aren't really quick hacks it's a it's a matter of oh no like if you want like a a bodybuilder's body you've got to train it and build it over years and our mental skills are very much like our physical skills it's not a it's not a quick read no matter how many books we do they have to actually be practiced and I think that's the next evolution of um, as you say breaking down the stigma of mental training what's required is the idea that people start to make it a priority um, and actually put in the time and it's our job too, to then, to work with those organizations and coaches, and have this information out there that you don't have to come into our office, and, and we're going to hold on to it and protect it like it's just our little thing. Like the best thing is for us to get it out there to everybody, so that you're learning it, and it's common knowledge that every coach is teaching with a mental toughness mindset and giving a nod to um, you know regulating their emotions and their thoughts and their focus and their recovery. You know, if we can really do that as sports psychology professionals, um, that's the big win. I know that the more coaches, I like, cause they have, you know, the greatest access. So, um, that I think is our next jump.
0: Yeah. So that's a good question that I have for you. Actually, Dr. Eddie, are you frozen on me. No, you're good. No, I'm uh, good. is about, um, when, when you, are you approached more by teams or by the players on the teams? Like, uh, in other words, are you finding that the coaches are more open, uh, to receiving the group exercises and things like that, that that approach it through the whole team dynamic or is it still more individuals and the ones that are seeking the three percent uh that, that are coming out looking for mental toughness and support psychology
1: yeah i will i'll probably answer it um with the best the best phrase in psychology it depends <laughs> um because i i know that The way that my practice has been set up and where I'm at, um, it kind of lends itself. Again, I'm a clinical psychologist. And so people are coming to me mostly as um, individuals um, because they are in distress. I do a lot of performance anxiety, a lot of injury and rehabilitation have been sort of the two biggest populations that I've worked with. So they they're aware that they have an immediate need and coaches and athletic directors and people around kind of know that that's what I do. And they kind of want that clinical sports psychology aspect. So for that reason, because of my background and training and specialization and, and what I've done in Grand Rapids for 20 years, that seems to be what you know, the natural flow is. Um, now, I've also done presentations and workshops, so I'll find a lot of coaches that are very enthusiastic about it. And then again, I work with teams. And then it kind of depends on the individual. I've had some coaches that are like, look, I've got plenty to do. I got to do my stuff. Here's your 15 minutes. Go do your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had others that have sat in and you know, we'll will kind of listen and be aware. But I'll tell you that the very best, I've worked with a couple of teams where the coaches bring me in, and they are writing down notes, everything I've said, and then they start doing what I've said. And um, there's a swim team that I'm working with now in particular, that um, I just consult with every once in a while. Um, But they're going to Junior Olympics, and they're breaking records. And the coach was like, thank you, Dr. Eddie, this is all you. I'm like, I haven't seen you in six months. She's like, but Everything you said in that workshop became our mantra, and we worked on it every day. And they had mental meetings.
0: The team took it on.
1: and They said, okay, what's the next step? And then very similarly said, okay, well, here's the next big thing to work. And then they worked that for three or four months. So they were really looking at it over the long haul of um, working with them over seasons. But when you talk about like the buy-in, when a coach can buy into it, um, they, are, they automatically have incredible power. Um, and then the athletes themselves, you know, will will get on board. And that's the other way that then people come. So if I have an athlete on a particular team, um, and then they end up doing well, well, then they'll tell their friends, well, all of a sudden, I've got a lot of fencers, or I've got a lot of swimmers, or I've got a lot of basketball players, because uh, I've helped somebody on the team, and they're like, hey, he can help you, he can help you. And so it kind of gets passed around. <laughs>
0: That's great. That's great. I'm, gl- I'm glad to see. I know a lot of people getting into the field are always nervous about stepping into sports. Maybe they didn't play, uh, you know, and, and finding the transferability. But it's wonderful that you've achieved that, that recognition and that, you know, practice and that notoriety over time uh, where you can reach out to athletes and teams from all different domains. So we were talking a little bit about um, your transferability into uh, multiple sports and teams and overcoming obstacles to excellence. And that reminds me, I had a sociology professor my, uh, my freshman year in college who told us, everybody starts with an A uh, and you have to lose the A throughout the semester. And I always, I always admired that approach because it's kind of like what you're saying, like excellence is there and achievable, but what are you gonna do to lose it? Um, you know, is that the way you, know, you think about it when it comes to, to an athlete that, that in a way the drive is already internal uh, and then we allow our, our reactions to our coaches, team situations to, to block us?
1: Actually, no, I, I, I take it exactly the opposite. And I'm not saying one's right or wrong. I mean, I think if I was in a class, I'd love to start off with an A. Um, but, but here's where my mind goes right away is though, I, for me personally, I think then I'd be afraid of failure. I'd be like, I'm already entitled to win or have this A and now I can only lose it. And I'd be motivated by fear. Now we know that that actually works, but we also know in the short term that works. And that's what my office is often filled with is athletes afraid of failure. So in the other way, it goes back to what I like to really look at and and say is, I don't know. I I don't know that we're really born excellent. If excellence is like the far end of the curve of of normal, um, you know, normal is average. And so I think that we have to respect greatness and excellence. And by moving into it in that direction, knowing that we actually have to do different things and earn it, then it can be exciting. Then it's a challenge. Um, then, you know, mistakes actually have a place because we're trying to do something that we shouldn't already.
0: Looks like we lost Eddie for a second. Uh, hopefully he will join us back in and he is giving us great nuggets on greatness and greatness being respected. And that is why uh, Richard listens. Crossing the Threshold will have a whole chapter both on uh, greatness, achieving it, and on uh sabotaging greatness so that you do not fall into the same traps
1: (laughs) well you know what if we could actually use this as an example of what we were just talking about like should you expect an excellent podcast show and you can only go down from there right that would feel (laughs) terrible right but if you're saying like oh no look like there's room to grow you know you got a long way before your oprah you know (laughs) it's like you know it's like that's exciting and it's like okay of course this happened of course we did this okay i learned from this i know i need different equipment or i need i I need a backup or i need like this lesson whatever it is this is the way to respond to mistakes right we have a little bit of embarrassment we wish it didn't happen but we have two choices we can either beat ourselves up about it feel terrible say it sucks never do another podcast it's not good enough compared to other people right? no growth happens there or like you're saying it's like okay what did i learn from this like, we don't like it it's uncomfortable but i'm glad you highlighted me. that
0: yeah. yeah you know and, yeah. And, and the best gift for me you know honestly coming from this perspective uh with the phd and supposed to be the expert supposed to have all the answers and yet you know, for my personal journey, that that lacked fulfillment. I think it was always about the whole journey back into sports psychology, or even about uh, being able to interview people. What I was fascinated and aspire to the work they're doing. So this podcast has been a real gift for me, uh, and it was a gift from a friend of mine who, um, uh, my co-host uh, Peter Soby, got me started four years ago. And because it was a friend and I wasn't being paid, the feedback was immediate. So I'd, you know, only talk for five minutes because we had co-hosts and things like that. And, and he'd say, where were you? You know, or how come you showed up, but you were only a textbook? You know, that's, that's not the person <laughs> I like hanging out with. The person I hang out with and talk about sports and, and, and what's, what your insights are. You know, you're smiling, you light up, you're excited. So that feedback was so valuable. So, you know, when people talk about, you know, fear of failure, fear of making mistakes, So this is actually, you know, I think it's such a great gift uh, because this is like, technically the podcast has been, you know, I've had two major studios run it for me where the whole team is there and all you have to do is show up and play. And because of that, I learned how to do 0% of it. And so uh, I, and and in a way it was incredibly frustrating, but, and, and it felt like a failure because it's like, well, I don't know how to get it up on iTunes or I don't know, you know, the mic or the lighting or anything. So, you know, all those insecurities that come up about the, the skills you don't have or the things that you're not, that you're weak at uh, are these tremendous opportunities for learning and growth. And, and like you were mentioning, if you take this approach of, uh, you know, it's a long game and I'm going to, you know, I'm just so amazed, you know, every guest I have, every show we complete, uh, the fact that, you know, and, and you know, I'm, I'm dubious of being excited about the quarantine, but it has been because a lot of people are home and open to sharing this tremendous, I, I've had more shows in the last uh, two months and guests for the next month, of people willing to share and, and uh, tell us about their expertise, that it's really, really amazing. And I hope a sign of a collaboration uh, of influence that is to come.
1: Yeah, and let me ask you a couple sentences back, you're talking about your experience of going through this with the, the new podcast. and. You know, do you, is it just me, but do you also have a tendency to kind of want to either feel good or bad about it? It's like, it's either bad or it's an opportunity. And I know I struggle with the idea of, gosh, how do I actually let it be both? How do I hold on to the disappointment of and the idea that I'm not as good as I would like to be and be excited about the opportunity to learn? Because I think that's, that's where I think people get lost, that they feel like it has to be one or the other and they have to fix the bad one or only feel the good one. And I think that there's a space where we can honor both. That's probably the more genuine place to live. But I don't know if that's just my struggle of like, well, no, I just want to be happy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I think, you know, we want to feel good. I, I want. To, yeah. I mean, I think you want to feel good. You want to feel successful. I certainly want, when I tell my client, like early on, it was like, do I even tell my clients I have a podcast? You know, some of it's that whole like, you know, boundary and psychology rules and things like that. But some of it's like, is it good enough? You know, this constant, are my guests good enough? And then I started to realize, you know, you know, that that my wealth is in some of the people I know, and they're amazing to me. So if they're amazing and what they do as a performer is interesting and exciting to me, you know, why am I always looking at, who I can't get on my show or who Michael Gervais has on his lineup because he works with the Seattle Seahawks and he's present with those people. So I think, you know, that's part of being a performer is trying to look at, wow, what ways am I overly critical, uh, you know, or or making it looking for what's wrong instead of appreciating that I'm in the process. And so I, what I like now is when some people ask me like send me your favorite show, because on the one hand, it's like the one I just did because I feel like the people that I'm inviting, I have more and more affinity to, and I'm more clear about who I want to have on. On the other hand, I look back and I'm like, well, that conversation that I had three years ago was so authentic, you know? And I'm so amazed at that, that person at that stage who got, you know, the, the, you know, we'd love to give value back to our guests, but at the time it was done for just the kindness of their heart. And, and who knows what intrinsic value they got out of sharing their story. But I knew that they didn't share their story with many, and and it's impactful. So it's interesting to me that usually it's like a recent show and one from the beginning where probably I was, you know, not as polished or said a lot more ums, ahs and failed my Toastmasters exam.
1: Or <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, yeah, it's, it's a body of work. It's a constant desire to, you know, improve. And willingness to tolerate uh, the ambiguity, I, I appreciate you highlighting that, that uh, there will always be areas to keep growing on and, and changing and evaluating. And I love having people involved who are giving me feedback. I mean, that's one of the most exciting parts of the week is when people are giving me a perspective or showing, us, showing me the long uh, game of what's happened the last quarter or where we're going, what things that might be working. Uh, that, that gets really exciting. Just like I'm sure it is for you when you hear back from a team that says for six months, we took your conversation and that was our mantra.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is a nice way to tie in what your original point was too about, you know, do you like having the A or do you want to strive for it? Like in addition to the idea that hey, we're two sports psychologists talking here, but we've just had two real life examples of, you know, our our practice as psychologists, are you know, the emotions that we're bringing along and, you know, 20 years experience and, you know, the degrees. And it's like, we know, we know the information, but you know, I'm going to die trying to do this well, (laughs) (laughs) you know, which doesn't mean I'm not doing it well, but it just means that uh, there's a whole long distance between wherever I am and perfection. Um, And so good, you know, 20 years of practice at it, but, you know, hopefully many, many more to, to keep tweaking it and getting better. Love that attitude.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll never forget that one of my graduation commencement speech, I think they said James uh, Blumenthal, uh, I believe his name, one of the leaders of humanistic psychology uh, movement. I think he started a private practice at 88 and picked up ballet at 89.
1: Is that (laughs) right? Gosh,
0: (laughs) talk about that is
1: great to hear.
0: (laughs) Learning and continual improvement over a lifetime. Yeah, I mean, you know, you really mentioned something that even though we may have. The experience and the textbook knowledge that each individual that comes in front of you may hear you differently or need a different message to get motivated. Uh, how much time do you give yourself to to orient to that person when uh, you know to to particularly find out what they're needing uh, that that may you know blend a little bit away from the template when you begin treating. Yeah. You know that's
1: an interesting question. Um, Remember, it depends. (laughs) Um, Uh But I guess I would say is that, um, you know, certainly when they first in, I guess I was, you start off with an assessment. And I really try to gauge in that very first time, like how much are they already willing to put in? Some already know that they want to be there for a season or that they're committed to the long haul. And so they want to go slow and learn things well. And then some others will come in and they, um, I know that they're they're maybe just testing it out. And I better give them something that's that's quick and relatively easy. And I'll explain that it might just be a Band-Aid, but, you know, here's a sample and here's something so that you can get a taste of it if you want to go on. And then there's a third group in that as we're working, it starts off with one thing, but because they don't know, and it just takes time, you start to get to know them better. And you start to see patterns and you start to see ways of thinking and filters that they might have that with a, a long-term relationship, you can really start to, uh, as one of my athletes says, like call her out on her stuff. It's like, okay, you're, you're doing that again. Um, we know what that's about. So can I just cut through that? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's become a real advantage after, you know, a couple of months of consulting that it's like, okay, we don't have to go down that path anymore. I'm not going to hear that story anymore. We know that that's a defense. Let's, let's get vulnerable. Let's get to what is this really about? Right. And she really gave me permission to call her out on that. And that's something that we couldn't have done in the first couple of weeks when you develop the relationship and you can kind of see what their their flavor is, um, that's when you can do some fun work.
0: Yeah, yeah. You really highlighted, you know, a big part of I've, I've adapted EMDR to my practice and, you know, the attachment to story, you know, how one story can trigger a lot of responses. And, and if it's a, a story about failure or a story about, uh, you know, early struggle and how that can really uh, impact our process. So the fact that you develop that level of trust. In the relationship where someone already says, right, well, I see where that story doesn't work, and you can move past it uh you know is is really important part of the the working alliance, which okay. yeah you know the, the the fact that they trust you to kind of laugh at it, you know as you see it, you know not not making fun of it but 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 laugh like, oh, I, there it comes again, right the defenses are always present, and they're part of the obstacles we're looking to overcome. you still with me, dr eddy yeah. Okay.
1: It gotten quiet, but I caught the end there. Okay, <laughs> and it's so interesting. I think that it's um, it really comes full circle, like in my practice. So I, I was originally trained with the traditional um, psychological skills training and cognitive behavioral therapy, and you know you have a thought and you have to challenge it. And I was really frustrated with it at first because I knew in my life that there were things I was trying to tell myself, you know, to change my story, and it just didn't have an impact. And as much as I wanted it, there was just some resistance. So the um, acceptance and commitment therapy, the mindfulness approach really spoke to me that like, gosh, if I can't change it. At least I can just step away from it and just realize it's not helpful, That I don't have to win this argument. But in recent years, I've been coming back um, with that mindfulness approach and saying, yeah, but I think now I've got the skills where I don't really still like having that in my head. And those words are powerful because our perception is our reality. And so if I am lying to myself, like whether it's, you know, uh, somebody with a disordered eating and they think that they're fat and they're not, it's like, it's one thing to kind of just say, okay, well don't pay attention to that, but it'd be really great to really actually understand what you really are. If you're t- saying that you suck and you don't, you're still going to interact with the world in some level. Even if you're watching it, you're still going to be impacted by that uh, that story that you suck. And so I've more recently been coming back to the idea of, yeah, let's kind of tend to that garden over in our head here and start pruning some of this stuff. And at, at our age now it's like, well, there's decades of, of junk up there. <laughs> um, and so I don't expect closets. To, oh yeah. Yeah. You open up the door and ah, but it's, um, but it's worth the work, isn't it? To say, well, I've got to reprogram it. And it's not just like saying like, well, you know, I could say a thousand times I can fly, I can fly, I can fly, I'll never believe it a million times and I'll never believe it. But if we can start to look at some of those negative stories and like, is it really true? Is it absolutely true? Is there a way that maybe it's only partially true and there's another dimension that we're not looking at? Can we start to soften it, right? Because if we'd be like, oh man, you know, I made a mistake and that was bad. Well, okay, that's actually true. But what else is into that story? Like how bad is it, you know? Or even in the positive way, it could be like, okay, I'm, I'm really generous, okay, think that. Well, am I, I mean, there are times that I haven't been and there are times that I have. I mean, there's times that I've been bad and times that I've been good. Am I either one of them? And does it even matter? Like, that's when my head starts to explode and say, why am I even doing this? Like, hit the ball.
0: <laughs> that's right, right. The ability to notice it come up and let it go. So, I mean, I really appreciate that you've highlighted, you know, the, the applications of mindfulness. And for all listeners, please check out uh, Dr. Eddie's LinkedIn articles. It shares a lot about mindfulness therapies. Um, you know, I, I appreciate you so much, your time. I feel like we could go on for another uh, I don't know, about 24, 30-minute lectures, but but at least another hour and a half. <laughs> so maybe we'll do this again uh, down the road, depending on. Uh, so and and if you're interested, before you uh, sign off and share with us, uh, even though I gave a little bit of plug before you came on, how people can get a hold of you, uh, we're going to be setting up yeah. a panel of experts for working with athletes in transition, whether it be retirement or lost season or injury. So uh, you'll certainly get an invitation if you're available.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I Uh, I will be. I will make myself so.
0: So please tell us uh, for all our listeners, best ways to get a hold of you, uh, access your services and contact you. Uh, We thank you so much for your generosity of time and and spirit. And um, we're thankful that you're out there in Grand Rapids, Michigan.
1: Yeah. Well, um, so the easiest way is dreddyoconnor.com. So that's a great landing page. It's got um, a link then to my YouTube channel. Um, and through there, you can send me an email, and uh, I offer services of uh, uh, speaking, which I was going to say when well, we can get on planes and do that. I would love to do that and come to you. I um, also do the telehealth, so if you are interested in uh, individual consulting, um, uh, and if, uh, even if it's at the clinical level, again I'm licensed, and so um, as an out-of-network provider, um, maybe you can even help uh, with some more of those serious issues too. And if you're looking for the resources, uh, thegreatcourses.com/slash. Dr. Eddie O'Connor, um, is for the psychology of performance, how to be your best in life. Um, I think they're running a sale um, and they've been really pretty generous about that during this uh, for people for home learning. So now it's a great time to, to get it. Um, it's downloadable or uh, audio or visual. Um, and then uh, I'm using this time to write a book. So maybe the next time we're on, I, I can tell you more about that and get some more things on, uh, on paper and get that out to people
0: using your quarantine time to your advantage. I love it, I love it.
1: There's a lot up here, I need to download it.
0: (laughs) It's a gift writing, it is, you know, just forcing myself to just start typing and stop thinking is is, uh, my challenge. Well, thank you again, Dr. Eddie. Uh, We're very, very grateful for all the work you're doing uh, for athletes and the the content you're sharing for professionals. I will keep my commitment to you and just to get the performance, the history of performance psychology, I will, uh, purchase a great course myself and uh thank you so much for your time your energy and we will um hopefully have this uh show up for you to uh share and post uh, within a couple of days oh, yeah. so thank Sweet you very looking much.
1: forward to it all right,
0: and if any of our listeners have questions, uh, interest in, in Dr. Eddie, please share them on the Instagram link to our show, and we will make sure we get it to him and uh, get his feedback. If there's something you want to hear more of or learn more about, um, we hope the interaction will continue, and we hope to add value to you uh, through the transition you may be in at this time. Uh, again, please uh, check us out patreon.com/slash Richard Listens. And we want to thank our guest, Eddie O'Connor, for sharing his expertise in sports and performance psychology, including his philosophies on overcoming obstacles to excellence, and we're grateful for his conversation, raw truth, and insightfulness. Uh, We appreciate you tuning in. Look for at least one show per week. Please check us out, our new show link up on iTunes and Spotify, and please reach out to us with any ideas for shows, guests topics you'd like to hear more from. Thanks again, this is Richard Listens, and I'm out. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport, football, hockey, boxing, soccer. The list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash listens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Lastly, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the session. I've personally taken a few of these classes and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion and with a drenched shirt. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to InJitsu.com slash RichardListens to get your first class free. That's injits ucom slash RichardListens.